Charlie Wilma. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. I'm Charlie Wilmoth, here with David Todd on April 19th, midway through the first month of the season. And we've got a couple weeks worth of games uh, to evaluate at this point. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to this one. David, how's it going? How's the show going? Uh, show's going great. Thanks, Charlie. For those who don't know, I've got a, a show weekdays on ESPN Pittsburgh from 4 to 7 p.m. Uh, obviously been talking a lot of Pirates. There's a lot going on with the draft coming up and the Penguins in the NHL playoffs. But uh, always enjoy the Pirates talk. Appreciated you being on last week. And, and Charlie, I'll tell you, you know, it's early in the season. And if you have any kind of run, positive or negative, early in the season, uh, you know, people focus on it very differently than they would if it happened mid-July because you have tons of other data points around that. And so whatever happens during a week is just what happens during a week. But when it's the beginning of the season, obviously, it's all we've got. So, you know, not that we jump to conclusions, but they are data points, and that's what we have to talk about, and that's where we are now. And I'll tell you, after watching Jeff Locke Friday night, I did some work on Saturday. And, you know, I, I know Pirate fans who listen to this will probably know these numbers, but the Pirates were 17-21 and 21 against the Brewers and the Reds last year. That's a 447 winning percentage. They were 81 and 43, 653, almost you know two thirds of the wins against everyone else. And after that Friday game, they're one and three against the Reds and the Brewers. And you're like, you know, like to see things turn. Well, obviously they did. Uh, they get a good, a really good performance from Nice on Saturday and a, a reasonable performance from Nicasio on Sunday. And they hadn't gone. Uh, the last time they lost four consecutive games on a homestand was September 18th to 22nd in 2012. They lost five in a row. So they had lost three in a row at home, and it was nice to see them turn things around, go on this West Coast trip with kind of a, a positive frame of mind. Right, and uh, yeah, late late in the 2012 season, that would be mid-collapse pretty much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Charlie, if you had to describe to somebody who hadn't seen the Pirates yet this year and you had to describe it in a sentence or a stat, what would you point them to in a, you know, if you only had a, a modicum of, of words to use, what would you what would you point them to? All right. I'm going to give you two, David. Uh, and they're, they're pretty obvious ones, but I think they're as good, good a starting point for discussion as any. Um, the first is the offense has a 385 OBP as a team. <laughs> uh, that's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's 31 points higher than the next closest team. And that's keeping in mind that the Pirates have to play in the NL and have pitchers back. I mean, so, the, you know, the entire team to have a 385 um, on base percentages is you know just insane. It's, it's a joke. It's, it's a ridiculous. Joke. I mean, they, they have several regular players above 400 right now. Gregory Polanco is at 456. Starling, Mar- Starling Marte has an OBP over, over 400 right now. Francisco Cer- oh, oh, and, and Cervelli's above Polanco, which I, I, yeah, I threw right. that out on Twitter yesterday. So Polanco's got a 456 OBP and Cervelli's uh, higher than him. Yeah, yeah. And John Jaso is at, at, at 418. I mean, Matt Joyce, in the limited time he's played, has a 545 OBP. You're, you're going to steal my thunder because my stat, and I'll let you get to your second one, but my stat was the Pirates' eight regulars, Andrew McCutcheon has a 361 OBP, and he's sixth out of eight. Right. I mean, yeah, behind all those guys and behind David Fries. I mean, Fries is just ridiculous. Uh, and then the other stat I wanted to point to was that uh, the pitching staff as a team has 4.56 walks per nine innings. 
And I think what we're looking at right now at this early point in the season is, excuse me, the, the group of position players has just been incredible. And um, you look at the, the moves the Pirates made over the offseason to improve their group of position players. Um, I mean, the, the John Jaso move looks really good. I mean, the, the, the David Freeze move looks solid to this point. But then you look at what was done on the pitching side, and it's it's almost as bad as the position player side has been good. Yeah, I think that's well said, Charlie. So a couple things. One is, uh, obviously, the Pirates are, are first in OBP, and I think they're 10th in run scored. So uh, there's no doubt that they have not been cashing in the way you would like, ideally. But, you know, to steal my buddy Joe Sheehan's line, which I pretty much uh, co-opted as my own, OBP is life, life is OBP. And if they keep getting on base, these things are going to work out. They've had some, uh, uh, you know, sequencing issues, this cluster unluck, if you will, uh, in terms of, you know, getting getting big hits at the right time. But they're doing the most important thing, and that's getting guys on base. And I'm, I'm with you I'm completely, uh, completely on that. The, the pitching has been enigmatic is, I guess, what, what I would use and, and – you know, you see three really good innings on Sunday from Nicasio, and then the Pirates put a five spot up, and then Nicasio comes out the fourth, walks the first guy, you know, then a hit, then another hit. Um, it, it's just they have not gotten a lot of consistency. And when Nice went seven innings on Saturday night, it's the first Pirate to go seven, and they were the last team in the major leagues to have a starter do that. So, you know, kind of all the things we thought about at the beginning of the season through, through the first two weeks, I think have more or less matched up. I mean, certainly – you know, nobody predicted Polanco to have a 22% walk rate the first two weeks. I mean, leading the major leagues in walks and and some other things. But more or less, um, the things we thought could be strengths have been strengths, and the things we thought uh, might be weaknesses have probably been the weaknesses. I, I think that's right, and uh, I think that we're so used to seeing the Pirates work magic with pitchers that it's been kind of surprising to see if there has been magic with this team, to see it actually be on the other side, uh, to, to see it be on the side of of on base percentage and and of you know in a lot of cases the defense has been pretty good as well. Uh, but yeah, let's let's take a quick run through some of the guys and you brought up Jaso and I just can we now put to to put to bed uh, the idea that you know first base is impossible to play and it, you know nobody should have expected Pedro to pick that up because Jaso's played five innings in his life and he looks I mean he doesn't look average he looks good at first base I mean he's he's done you know I, I think I've seen him kick one maybe. Um, but he seems to have great instincts. He's he knows positionally where to be, um, and you know, I'd be curious. Uh, and I know Clint got asked this after the game on Sunday to see as the season moves on if they stop with the defensive replacement of Sean Rodriguez playing first base because I, at this point, you know, I'm not, you know Sean Rodriguez is probably better still at the position, but uh, it doesn't really look like it's a necessary thing. No, it doesn't look. It's certainly not a crucially important thing. I mean, we we have seen. You know, there was that game the other day where Garrett Cole was pitching and and uh, Jaso uh, moved off the bag with a with a runner on first to cheat towards second and didn't communicate that to Cole and Cole ends up throwing to the base and nobody's there. Um, so there was that little incident and that's the kind of thing that would probably be cleared up a little bit if if Jaso had more time at the position. But you're right, in general he's been very good and this this goes along with uh, what generally happens historically when you move 
players who play tougher positions to first base. And uh, I, I think, you know, Alvarez was very much the exception, not the rule. And you, you look at Jaso, you look at the track record of other catchers who have tried to move to first base, and for the most part, they handle it fine. And, and Jaso has been really good so far, probably better than expected, which is nice to see. Um, but it's something, you know, that, that shouldn't come as a massive shock to us based on the fact that just in general, first is not that hard to play. It just looks like such a great signing right now at two years and $8 million. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I said this on Twitter and I, you know, I said it half jokingly, but, you know, the, I think the assumption amongst the fan base is Josh Bell is going to be the part starting first baseman next year. I don't know what's going to happen with Josh Bell exactly, but I will tell you if John Jason puts up a 900 OPS the entire season, uh, he's going to be playing first base next year. I mean, it's there's there's no way around it. I mean, I, I guess maybe the one thing you could say is that um, you know at the very least Bell could serve as a, a, a platoon partner for right. for uh, Jaso. I mean, maybe that would that would work. But yeah, I mean, if Jaso continues to hit like this, there's just no way for Bell to enter the lineup. And it'll be interesting what to see what happens with him. You know, you hate to speculate on whether he could become trade bait or something like that, especially after only seeing Jaso at, at first for a dozen games or so. Uh, but, yeah, he's looked great so far. Yeah. Harrison, you know, if you want to pick guys who have been disappointments, I mean, you, you might turn to, to Josh Harrison, and he got two walks on Saturday, which was uh, a no- noble for him, which I think got him to three on the season. Uh, we're seeing kind of what we've seen from Josh Harrison. This is the guy that I think Josh Harrison is. I mean, I th- he's a he's a high-energy player. Um, he is a – I think right now he is an average defensive second baseman with maybe some room to improve with a little more experience at the position. He's got an OPS plus of 86, Charlie, uh, kind of 288 batting average. And he's never light in the batting average, but he never really gets anything uh, because he just, just walks so infrequently. And and what we saw in 2014 in terms of power now looks anomalous. I mean, his power numbers that year were extraordinary. And, you know, the rest of his career doesn't really match. Right. You're right, David. I mean, I, I don't think it's real likely that, that – uh, Harrison's 2014 season is going to come back. That looks like a one-shot kind of deal. Uh, and that was one reason where I, why I was not super thrilled about the idea of the Pirates signing him to an extension. Uh, but I thought what you wrote was excellent in the sense that, you know, it, it's not going to be much different than his arbitration dollars would have been. And really the options are again on the Pirate side. Right. I mean, I think they got it at a price where, you know, even if this was, you know, maybe like this the, is it. Yeah. If, if this was like the 30 percent Pakoda projection for, for what Harrison was going to do once he got the extension, it's still not that bad. Like it's 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 still fine. And you can you can move him to second base or third base and have him basically be fine. I've I've been more comfortable with him. At, uh, at at second than I was with Walker last season. He has mostly uh, played pretty well defensively. I, I thought, and we're still talking about a player who's hitting 288. It's 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 pretty hard to be a bad player if you are a starting infielder, starting middle infielder, and you're batting 288. Um, so I'm I'm not concerned about him. He's he's you know certainly he's going to be a guy who bats near the bottom of the order and uh, probably is is not the shining light of your lineup, but he's fine. And, you know, having him start at second is fine as long as you've got guys uh, elsewhere on the diamond who are playing really well, and the Pirates do have that. So he, he's not a huge concern to me. Hasn't been a, a bright spot this season, but hasn't been terrible either. Uh, Jordy, again, off to a slow start offensively. People appointed tied for the team lead in RBIs with eight. Um, his glove is his glove, and that's why he's in the major leagues. And, and I still think he's 
tremendously underrated defensively. Um, but it's hard to get past the fact that Jordy doesn't hit. And, and uh, he, you know, he he almost feels like Chris Stewart at the plate now. It just doesn't, doesn't feel like he's hitting balls hard. But he's gotten some clutch hits, you know, and that's worth something at this point in time. He's going to be out there every day. It's a, it's clearly in the organization, you look at the Pirates, it's clearly the position of weakness until you get down to the guys at Bradenton and below. Um, there's not a there's not a guy that you can play there. Jung, and, and I think, you know, finally Neil confirmed this. I mean, Jung Ho Gong is not going to play shortstop this year, period, full stop. So it's Jordy's job, and you just hope he hits a little better because his glove is very good. He was great on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, it, it probably is going to, to be a situation where if, if Mercer's bat doesn't improve to some degree, the, the Pirates do need to look at um, finding some sort of alternative at, at shortstop down the line. Like, it's not such a pressing issue right now that they need to immediately replace him. But he's not going to last as a, as a starting shortstop unless he hits a little bit. The defense, as you mentioned, is, is certainly there, and, and you're probably right that he's a bit underrated um, because he doesn't have like a sort of classic shortstop profile. Of, of, yeah, you know, yeah. He's sort of a bigger guy. He's not, he's not flashy um, or is not that flashy. Um, but his defense is good. The offense, though, I mean, he, if he's going to be a starting position player, he has to hit. And he's had two consecutive seasons now um, with, you know, I, I don't want to say virtually no offense, but but very little offense. I think one other thing we could point to um, as far as disappointments on the uh, offensive side, and there haven't been that many. But one thing we could also talk about a little bit is the is the Pirates base running. What have you made of that this season? No, oh, it's atrocious. I mean, first of all, I mean, we'll get to the guys in the outfield, but I mean, for all his speed, Andrew McCutcheon might be the worst base runner in history uh, in terms of just being able to read pitchers. They don't slide well. Um, you know, Kutch actually, I think, cost the Pirates a run and possibly a game when he didn't get his foot down. You know, the first thing that touched his base was his ass. Uh, touched home plate was his ass when he came in with both feet up high rather than having a, a foot down when he was sliding. So, I mean, you know, I think Jason's a decent base runner, but he made a bonehead move coming around second, not knowing the guy was standing on third. Uh, Polanco's had sliding issues again. I honestly, the thing I worry about Polanco is him actually injuring himself sliding. So, uh, you know, the third base coach made a bad decision on on one of those plays to get out the first out of uh, of an inning at home plate. The play with Harrison I had no problem with, where he got thrown out on 1-1 game against Cincinnati um, in the ninth, in the, I guess, top of the ninth inning, trying to get a 2-1 lead. It was bang-bang play. Wasn't a great slide by him. There was a question of whether the catcher was blocking the plate. But I just think in general it's been it has not been particularly good. Yeah, and I you know it's been the kind of base running that's very frustrating as a fan to watch. And I try to sort of stand above that uh, above that particular fray because a lot of the times when you see somebody uh, making a mistake um, on the bases, it's less important than the amount of speed he has, which is one reason why you know Gregory Polanco has has so consistently um, graded out as a, a good base runner despite you know making some mistakes on the bases um but the just the 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 sheer number of them that seem to have taken place in these this first dozen games um have been pretty crazy it it seems like and uh it seems like the 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 pirates philosophy of of being really aggressive on the bases that they've they've uh, talked a little bit about has not really worked out for them so far Uh, it definitely hasn't worked out very well and i you know 
I think the frustration for fans is when you see something that you wouldn't expect a kid in a little league game to do, when you see it in a major league game, you say, come on, is the guy's head in the game? What's going on? I mean, uh, to this point in the season, I'm just looking at the numbers, Charlie. I think they're, uh, they're eight of, of, uh, 17. So they've, they've been, uh, they've stolen eight bases and actually they've been caught seven times. So eight of 15. It's not just, you know, obviously that's not a very good percentage. I mean, it's a, neg- um, it's a net negative. You yeah. Know, one of, you know, one or two of those was a hit, was a hit and run. But, you know, when Cutch is 0 for 2 and Polanco's 1 for 3, um, you know, that, that tells you something. Uh, third base, David Freeze. Uh, I have to say I'm surprised. I, I, you know, it was a, it was a no risk signing at $3 million. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm, I don't expect David Freeze to do this all season. He's, he's, his OPS plus is 100. He's, he's right on that number um, of league average. He's, no, he's going to be he's going to make the bench better. Gong looks like he'll be back, you know, within probably 10 days now. Um, but you know, Freeze has been a useful stopgap. Absolutely, and one of those guys who's posting a very high on-base percentage. He hasn't hit for any power, um, really, but has a 3.82 OBP. And I think, you know, along with Jaso, has been, I, I would say, probably a pleasant surprise in the field as well. So certainly, I mean, a guy who has helped the guy, the, the Pirates, get through this first month uh, without Gong, and and he's going to be very useful on the bench. The Pirates have already designated Mike Morse for assignment, um, somewhat we assume in anticipation of this move and in in anticipation of of getting gone through his his uh his rehab assignment and getting him back and then moving freeze into a sort of michael morse like role on the pirates bench so i think he's going to be uh useful there and and he's had you know a, a, a solid first month i think that over time obviously he's going to hit for a little bit more power have a little bit less obp but he's a pretty good offensive player who the pirates ended up getting for for not much at all yeah, and as for the more as Morse thing, the Pirates have gone out west, and the, the uh, Indians play a day game today. I had assumed Jason Rogers would be in San Diego by now. He's in the lineup again today. Uh, maybe they're just going to let him play today and make sure Lariano gets through his start tonight. But I would expect the Pirates to send either, you know, we'll get to the bullpen in a minute, but Shugel or Lobstein down so that they're not playing with just four guys on the bench, one of them being Stewart and one of them being Cole Figueroa. So, I, I, I assume in the next 24 hours we're going to see a move. Um, Charlie, Gregory Polanco, and I, this is not second-guessing. I, I asked the question when he signed the extension of, of him and his agent, basically. they I understand you know getting the money, the guarantee, all those types of things, but everybody should recognize that they turned this down once. They turned it down a year ago, uh, big money, and now it looks like maybe the total package could be about $10 million more uh, honest to goodness. So I, at the time, I said, if you turned it down for one year, why not wait one more year and see if things go your way? Because you'll still be young enough to be a prospect at age 25. Um, even if things don't go really well, I don't think the Pirates are taking the offer off the table. And now it looks like, my goodness, I mean, Charlie, I, don't, I, I shudder to think how much money he might have left on the table, even by you know not waiting a year, if he continues kind of anything close to what he's done here in the first two weeks. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could be a bunch. I mean, to some extent, these uh, these early career extensions are, are, are sort of set by previous extensions. So, I mean, Corey Kluber, for example, who he was coming off a Cy Young season when he signed an extension at a, a, a point similar in his service time to, to what Polanco now has. And he got about what Polanco got. I, I will say I would have a completely different view if he was a pitcher. 
I mean, so I, I look at them separately. I, I, I understand your point, but I just think position play, pitchers, the, the injury risk is enormous. Position players, not so much. No, I, I understand that. It's That's certainly fair. But you're still talking about like a superstar, uh, someone who had already established himself as like a superstar yep. type of player. I mean, Starling Marte is another example. He got less than less guaranteed than, than uh, what Polanco did. So, yes, he left money on the table, uh, Polanco – Almost certainly did, but probably not as much as you might imagine. It's not like he's going to get, you know, a sixty million dollar extension if he has, if he has, if he had had like a really good year last year before signing the extension or something like. They get Andrew McCutcheon type money. I'd have to go back and and look at the service time situation. That that might be possible, but you're still looking at, you know, that's that's only a difference of uh, only a difference of what 15, 17 million something like that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, so uh, but so what, let's talk about what you've seen from Flanco. Obviously, plate discipline's been extraordinarily good. Um, what have you seen from his swing? Did you notice anything? I, I mean, it, I, I, you know, maybe it's a little shorter, uh, a little more direct to the ball. But I have to say, you know, it, it, he's always been known as having a bit of a looping swing, and I'm seeing less of that. But, you know, the exit velocity on his hits is I mean, always like 108, it seems like. I mean, he is crushing baseballs. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the response I was going to give is is not, you know, having much to do with his swing mechanics, which I, you know, and I'd have to look closely at, and I'm not necessarily the best person to, to make those kinds of judgments anyway. It's more just like... How hard he's just destroying the baseball. I mean, he's just he's just hitting the ball really hard, really consistently. We saw glimpses of that down the stretch uh, last year, but um, this year that's really really been a uh, factor for him. Marte a little bit of a slow start again. You know, for for Marte, you you say boy, if Marte had had uh, Polanco's plate discipline, he'd be McCutcheon. Wait, Marte's uh, off to a slow start. I think the first couple of games of the season, I think it was like, you know, the fourth game of the season, not not slow start in two weeks as in oh, got it. Okay. first couple of games of the season. And now, you know, relatively torrid, um, only two walks in 10 Ks. So, you know, if you're going to if you're going to quibble about one thing, that's it. But, you know, I keep looking back to the last six weeks of 2014 when he came back from that concussion and he OPS basically a thousand for six weeks and thinking, you know, this guy has the potential to be a top five at, in the league MVP candidate. And I wonder if we'll ever see it. I don't feel like Marte's uh, – the numbers tell you otherwise. I don't feel like Marte's having a great start to the season. I still feel like there's upside here from this guy, even though he's got a 958 OPS and a 157 OPS plus. Where, where does the upside come from for you? Maybe it's a little more power because I think he has that in him. I do think he's a 25 to 30 home run guy like Kutch. Um, but, uh, and then I think, I think what he can, and you know, you know, look, he's 27, so maybe this never changes. But like I said, if he developed just a little bit more plate discipline, oh my goodness. Oh, right. I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? If he could develop that, you know, but it might be as, you know, if, if pigs could sprout wings. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's probably just not coming. Like he, he is sort of the player he is to me. And I think Keith Law has talked about this recently, how he, he thinks that, that uh, Gregory Polanco's upside is significantly higher than that of, of Starling Marte, and that's that's the. What, what do you I'm, think? What do you think? I mean, you know, because I've been asking this question for a month now, and and I think most people think Marte's is higher, but when you when you look at the plate discipline for Polanco and assume that there's some level of power is going to come because he's only 24, jeez. Right. I mean, and and I, I guess in the past I probably would have dismissed it as a somewhat academic question because I don't know exactly where Polanco's upside is. I mean, there's there's really 
there wasn't much reason to place limits on his upside. You know, it was just a, it was more of a question of like how much powers is going to come along, like how productive an offensive player um, can he be. But you know, especially with the start he's off to and the the way he finished last season, I can definitely see him. You know, having a pretty decent chance of being a better player um, than Marte, and not just over you know a sample of a couple weeks or a, a couple months, but over the long haul because. His plate discipline is so much better than, than Marte's. The, the, the foundation for Polanco is just so strong. Yeah, I've said Marte's, upside, Marte's ceiling is McCutcheon and a better defender. I don't know if he'll ever be there. I don't know where to put Polanco's upside either. Uh, you know, can he be a better player than Andrew McCutcheon has been? I, wow, that's uh, that's fun to think about. Yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we're really hyping these guys. I mean, to, to, to be clear, I mean, to say that uh, that anybody has a chance of being a better player than Andrew McCutcheon is inherently a semi-crazy thing to say. Uh, <laughs> but, but, I, but I think that, you know, the, the emphasis, especially with Polanco, is, is you know, at, he's still at a point in his career and he's still shown enough on such a wide variety of fronts you can say, you know, why not? I mean, it's it's not it's probably not likely, but it's not impossible. I just, uh, you know, Charlie, it, I don't know, you know, how to even ask the question, but I just I always wonder a little bit when when guys like Josh Harrison and, and Starling Marte see Gregory Blanco have 13 walks and they have two or three, you know, through you know the first 50 or 60 plate appearances, whether there's any anything that rubs off in that respect. Obviously, the answer is no, but. You would, I would think, seeing these guys, the approach they have, and, and kind of how they're taking their at bats, or, or is it as you said? Look, the other two guys are 27 and 28. They're fully formed players, and none of that's going to change. Yeah, it's 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 not going to change. And I, and I think that it'd be interesting to see somebody ask them that directly. You know, to say, you know, when you when you watch McCutcheon or you watch Polanco at the plate, you know, what do you think about that that you can apply to your own game? And I think they probably have all kinds of reasons for for either not really being able to change or not wanting to change. I mean, maybe, you know, if, if Josh Harrison tries to take more walks or Starling Marte tries to take more walks, something something bad happens on the other end. Like they, they lose their power. They lose their ability to make contact. They become overly passive. It might just be an approach that, that doesn't work for them. And I think that, you know, history generally shows that this is a skill that is developed earlier on in your professional yep. career or maybe even before your professional career uh, and to some degree it, it might be you know uh, uh, more of a natural talent so I, I don't think it's something they can you know just em- necessarily emulate yes I agree with all of that uh, Andrew McCutcheon the most interesting thing about his season to date for me is that you know we, a lot's been written about the Pirates outfielders playing more shallow and it's clearly evident I've not seen. I've seen him go back on balls better than I think he ever has in his career. I don't remember seeing a ball so far this year, and I've seen most innings, not every inning, but I don't remember seeing a ball and thinking, "Boy, if he were playing five steps deeper to start with, he would have made that catch." There have been a couple balls hit over his head, but I don't think he's getting them either way. Uh, and some of them, the ones by Ryan Braun in particular, <laughs> were, were about a hundred feet over his head. Um, but uh, I think that's been, you know, look, a slow start again this month. It looks like maybe he's heating up a little bit with home runs on Saturday and Sunday. But I don't have any concerns. The bat speed's still there. He's running well. Um, and like I said, I think his defense has actually been pretty good. Yeah, no, yeah, he's he'll, he'll be fine. I mean, he's Andrew McCutcheon. He's 29. It's going to be cool. I, I, <laughs> I feel like there's there's not necessarily much else to, to say about him at, at this point in time. Just, you know, just wait for the inevitable 
breakout in, in May or June where he just thrashes the entire league because I feel like it's going to happen. Only 22 at-bats, but I have to say I'm shocked that Matt Joyce is doing what he's doing. <laughs> 22 plate appearances, uh, you know, a huge day on, on Sunday. Again, a zero-cost signing. I, I wasn't really necessarily in favor of him breaking camp with the Pirates. I wanted to see Jason Rogers, even though Joyce is the left-handed bat, and that's all they have on the bench. But uh, but he's been good. Well, I mean, Figueroa is obviously a left-handed bat, but slightly different role, obviously. Right. I mean, and it, it, going into the season, it looked like one of these, uh, you know, Brandon Inge, uh, John McDonald type, you know, things where you, you stick a, uh, you know, Matt Diaz, where you stick a, a veteran on the bench just because he's a veteran. That's that's a little bit how it looked to me. Um, but so far, yeah. I mean, he's been terrific and uh, not much else to say about that. It's mostly a small sample size probably at this point. Um, but so far, he's been fantastic. So, uh, David, we, we're about, what, 25 minutes or so into this podcast, and we haven't talked about the pitching staff really at all. Um, so maybe we can move to that area, and that is you know, maybe a little bit less fun to talk about since the Pirates' pitching, by and large, has been pretty disappointing so far this season. Any level of console with, concern with Garrett Cole. He wasn't sharp in his first outing. His second outing, he was great for three innings. He almost got killed by a baseball. Fortunately, it just grazed off his hat. Um his stuff looked there. He had, you know, maybe threw one or two bad pitches in that fourth inning, gave up two runs, and that ended up costing him the, the, the loss. But uh, any level of concern or, or Cole looked like Cole a second time, and you're good. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not worried about him. I'm certainly not going to get worried about him uh, over two starts unless there's a massive drop in velocity or something like that going on. Right. So, I, you know, I think he's, he's the least of the Pirates' concerns. The, the Pirates have also gotten some nice performances from – um, a few other pitchers. I mean, uh, Mark Melanson probably stands out in that regard. Neftali Feliz so, so far has been great. And uh, like I said, I'm not really worried about Cole. I'm not really worried about Liriano either, despite that. And you're not worried about Tony Watson. I mean, he gave up a home run. You know, last year in the opener, he gave up a three-run homer, I think, to the Reds. And uh, he may have given up one more all year. So he got, he got dinged by the Tigers, but he looks like Tony Watson to me. Yeah, not, not worried about him, not worried about Liriano. And, and John Neese has been fine. Um, you know, probably on the whole, pretty much what we expected so far. The, the rest of the staff, though, I think you could point to pretty much anybody and, uh, and say that they're... You know, well, Lobstein and Shugel shouldn't be on the team, right? I mean, I, I, I can't believe Lobstein's getting innings, so... I, right, I, and then, I mean, Shugel is... I, I interpreted them as, as having brought him up mostly because it would be... So, uh, not much of a loss for them to designate him for assignment once they wanted yeah, to and, fill and Scahill was on paternity leave. So they wanted to call it Scahill. And then when they put Lubke on the DL, they did. But so that, you know, and Shugel maybe has some upside. I just don't see any upside with Lobstein. I, and he throws 86. I understand he's left-handed, but, uh, you know, yeah, he's got not a whole lot. And, uh, and you know, you've got, you've got, I mean, I, and again, he's a lefty, but you realize you've got, you've got Ryan Vogelsong who's supposed to be in the bullpen as well. You know, how, how much need do you really have for somebody who can pitch three innings at a time, you know, pitch three bad innings at a time? You've got guys on the team who should be able to do that. Yeah, I think you and I both agree that it would not be at all surprising if Vogelsong's not on the roster on July 1st. Having said that, you know, when asked to make a start, he did what was asked. So mm-hmm. let me let me ask about before we get into the other two starters, let me ask you about Archimedes Caminero. And I ask. Because, you know, if anybody watched Thor pitch last night, Noah Syndergaard, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff he's doing, we've never really seen. I mean, he's throwing 
is uh, his sinker 100 miles an hour. He's throwing a slider 95 miles an hour. He's throwing a changeup 92 or 93 miles an hour. I mean, it's crazy. But if you go look at the numbers, Charlie, Caminero's got the same repertoire. Now, he's not the same pitcher, obviously, and one's a reliever and one's a starter. But Caminero still has the stuff. What's up with Caminero? Well, I mean, I think it's – you know, I, I hate to be so negative about him so early on in the season, especially when you know, the Pirates did a pretty good job getting him to harness his stuff last year. I mean, he wasn't great, but he was certainly functional, a guy you're you know happy to have pitch in the sixth or seventh inning. Um, but I, I think what we're seeing really is that just velocity is great, but it isn't everything. You know, it, it's, it's not going to provide you the complete – picture of a pitcher and you, you look at some of the velocity readings that the Caminero is coming up with I mean hitting 102 at times and you know it's uh, his slider hitting uh, what like 92 or even higher than that and you you think man that's electric that's amazing but just you know the, the numbers aren't there and the control especially isn't there I mean well I, I think yeah, I think the command has got I mean five walks in seven innings seven and two thirds you know you pointed it out up top that that's and I, 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 my tweet the other day was stupid, saying that you know if if you know if he could command things, he could be as good as anybody in baseball. But obviously, <laughs> well, that's that's the issue. Yeah, I mean, and and it's again, you know, a, a, a big sprouting wings kind of thing, probably. I mean, maybe maybe he is someone who could take a couple miles off his his velocity and and have you know better control, but then he wouldn't have that velocity. So and, and I did ask him that specific question uh, when I had him on the show, and I he said I said you know learning to pitch is that something that's kind of you, you felt like you've got a much better feel for that and he said uh, i've always wanted to learn to pitch and throwing 100 i didn't he didn't want to give up velocity to learn how to pitch and so you know some of that's command some of that's kind of uh you know pitch sequencing and, and things like that so it, it will be interesting to watch as you said last year look he had he had runs where he was really good mm-hmm. and then you know times where he, you know he wasn't i thought the other day he looked okay but you know, early on here, seven and two thirds. You got eight hits and you got five walks. It's it's not great. No. Uh, uh, okay, let's go to let's go to Nicasio and Locke. Take your pick. Um, I mean, I guess it's it's Nicasio at this point in time, and I and I think that I, again we're we're seeing we're, we're so used to pitchers coming to to Pittsburgh and changing, right? And uh, you know, Nicasio I, I think is is better than he was last year, mainly because he's locating. His pitch is better, and he's 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 moving his fastball around. He's willing to throw inside, um, and he's moving his fastball uh, around the, the the plate. and And it's it would seem painting it a little bit better than he did last year with the Dodgers, but he's still a two pitch guy, and that's yep. that's really going to limit things for him. So last year he threw 1.8 percent changeups. Um, this is via Fangrass. This year he's at four percent changeups. Which, he threw five in the first game. I know he threw none in the second game. Maybe he threw a couple in the third game. Yeah, something like that. So, you know, it, it might unless he's willing to throw that change up more, it, it might be a, a situation where his performances are just going to be uneven. I mean, he, he's had, you know, he's, he can get strikeouts, and his two pitches are very good. So there's something there, but he, you know, probably needs that that change up to 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 use against opposite handed handed batters uh or else he, or else he's a he's a two-time through the lineup guy uh for sure i mean 
You know, or, to me, Charlie, Weaver, really. Well, well, ideally, look, when they signed him, I thought he was going to be the seventh inning guy with Hughes. I mean, what Feliz has done has really surprised me. Um, but I thought Nicasio was the ideal guy to be be that guy and maybe be, give you two innings, give you the sixth and the seventh to get the ball to Watson and Melanson. So I, I think eventually he's going to get back to that role. I don't mind them trying him some more as a starter, but it's interesting. I mean, the three starts, the first one was exactly what we saw in spring training. Mm -hmm. The second one was terrible. And the third one was a little bit of each. I mean, he was really good for three innings and kind of completely lost it for an inning. But four of the six innings were, you know, three up, three down. So he certainly wasn't terrible. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you. You can't really let him see a lineup a third time. So... You know, when when Tyone or Glass now or somebody's ready, you'd think you, you can make that transition. Yeah, although you know, the, the Neil Huntington said this weekend that that the Pirates are pretty concerned about Glass now's changeup usage, uh, and that they're they're <laughs> mandatory. You know, yeah, going to con- consider imposing you know a specific number of changeups he has to throw per start. And when you hear uh, Huntington go and say something like that to the media, that's that's kind of a concern as well. Yeah, we're not, I, don't, I don't think there's any question that Glassnow is not coming up anytime soon. I mean, I, unless there's you know a rash of injuries, I think he's down until July. I think actually Tyone is the guy who will come first if if you know both guys go according to plan. He's just more mature. Um, you know, I think he does have a, a more uh, fixed repertoire of pitches. Um, I, everybody recognizes he hasn't pitched in in a ton of games over the past, and pitched in any games over the past two years, and they're going to limit his innings as they did last night, 90 pitches, four and a third. Um, but his, you know, he's sitting 93, 95. Um, he is throwing his his uh, changeup. I did, I had him on the show on Friday. Um, if people want to go to ESPNPittsburgh.com, you can hear the, hear the, any of these interviews. Um, but do you, do you would you agree with me right now if you had to guess if one of them, if a guy's going to come up mid June would you guess Tyone or Glass now? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I would like to see a little bit more of Tyone before you know before deciding on that. I mean, he's he's got uh, you know a lot to prove in terms of uh, the, the reviews have been very good, but you know he hasn't really pitched in in two and a half years. So. Um, so you know, we'll see as he as he makes a few more starts in the minors. So I, I guess we talked. About- I mean, he he. Well, it, it's I think it's important to make the distinction that he did pitch a fair bit last year. He just never pitched in games. He did a ton of work with Jim Benedict, um, basically through extend spring training up till June, and was literally on the cusp of making a start before the hernia situation came up, and then he got to throw. Um, in September, you know, down in, in extended t- at the end of the season as well. So it's not as if he had two years with his arm, uh, you know, in a sling. True. Yeah, it's, it's not coming completely out of nowhere, but he's still someone who doesn't have a ton of experience uh, at the at the AAA level um, and is, you know, probably sort of a functionally different pitcher than he last was uh, when he when he pitched competitively. So uh, there's still a lot to yeah, determine. He but you really right. likes he loves his delivery now. I'll tell you that it's less drop and drive, and he feels like it's really clean, and is, he's as strong as he's ever been. If, you know, if you want to find positive silver linings and a guy having to miss two years, <clears throat> there was that work with Benedict to kind of clean the mechanics and get that all worked out. So, okay, Jeff Locke, uh, he has a 2.53 ERA. That's what you can say that's good about him. He's got a 5.94 FIP. He's walked uh, nine guys in ten and two thirds innings. He's given up 12 hits. He is the ultimate dancing through the raindrops right now. Um, so some of it's strand rate. And, and uh, it, the thing that's vexing for me, Charlie, is you watch that game Friday night and you see him walk the first four hitters um, in, in, of each inning. You watch Keon Broxton, who's like 0 for 14 with 10 Ks. You watch him twice. 
uh, can't find the zone. And then in the middle of the third and start of the fourth inning, I think he you know faces three batters. He he throws ten pitches, and he couldn't have, he couldn't have thrown a better pitch each time than he threw. And he, I think he struck out three consecutive guys, and then he can't get out of the fourth inning. I mean. I don't know. I just I don't even know what to say about Jeff Locke anymore. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's it's a I guess a case where you know small sample sizes might lead you down the rabbit hole. But he's he's the same you know frustrating pitcher he's been. He's the same nibbler he's been. And um, yeah, you know, this is his. You know, he's he's been in the Pirates rotation now for basically you know he's in his fourth well, longer than anybody else. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Now that now that Morton's gone, so I, I don't know. What do you What do you do with him? I mean, is he the guy who comes out of the rotation when either Tyler or Glass now is ready to come up? Well, yeah. You're gonna have you know two months to make that decision. But I, look, I I know you feel the same way. There is there is something there, and you don't have guys. You don't have lefties who throw 93 with you know decent stuff. Those guys aren't just you know growing on trees. So. I don't. I don't think you completely bail on Jeff Locke, but man, I, I don't think you can put him in the bullpen. And if you take him out of the rotation, then he's done. I mean, I think once you take him out of the rotation, that's the end of Jeff Locke. Well, tell, so, tell, tell me why you can't put him in the bullpen. Well, just because he can't because he walks so many guys. I mean, maybe maybe he'll get that straightened out. I mean, he, he is. If, look, if you can pitch as a starter, you can pitch as a reliever. But if you're going to walk a guy in inning, you can't be either, right? I mean, so I guess it's moot. But I, you know. I, would I rather have Jeff Locke in the bullpen than Corey Lubke? Probably. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's maybe there's something there. I mean, maybe that maybe that's a possibility that, you know, uh, if he can go to the bullpen, maybe he can rear back and throw. Maybe then he becomes a lefty who's throwing 95 instead of a lefty who throws 93, and then he doesn't need to worry about nibbling so so much because his his. Uh, the stuff plays a little bit better. I don't know. I mean, I'm just spitballing. Yeah, we're all grasping for something. Yeah, I mean, and uh, and uh, you know, I, I I think I wrote over the off season that you, you can't just dump him. Like he's still pretty cheap. He's he's only three million dollars. He's proven that he can get through, um, and that's you know damning with faint praise. But he's he's proven that he can get through 160 innings in a year uh, without you know needing to be removed from the rotation. Um, so that's that's someone who has some value, you know. But it, it, he's he's frustrating. We all know that. And he's even more frustrating on a staff where everybody is walking people, not just him. Um, where he's not, you know, the, the sort of lone guy who's who's a weak link and somebody you're just kind of putting up with. But instead is is somebody who's doing stuff that lots of other people on the staff are are, are doing. You know, if if he's the uh, I don't know. I mean, if you if the Jordy you, Mercer of the offense, right? I mean, if he's like you know, and I'm throwing relievers in here too, but if he's like the the tenth most effective pitcher on your staff, that's one thing. But if he's the sixth or seventh most effective pitcher on your staff, that's something completely different, and it says something not very good about your staff. And and this goes back to you know things we were talking about over the off season, where we were like, well, you know, the the Pirates seem to need more starting pitching than they have you know why don't they have it especially on a free agent market that was very good for starting pitching and much of what we've seen this year not only from Locke but from the staff in general has not really answered those questions well I'll go back to two things one is whether you like Charlie Morton or not it was a straight salary dump the Pirates you know gave Charlie Morton away because they didn't want to pay eight million and 
You know, they like other things better for whatever reason. Morton had a bad first start, and he's had two very good starts since then. Uh, his velocity's up, but again, you're not going to draw any conclusions on Charlie Morton on three starts. I'll just go back to the thing that I wanted to see happen in the offseason, and that was signing Jay Happ. And he- hearing Neil Huntington talk about how the starting pitching mar- market's got gotten out of control and referencing Jay Happ at three years at $12 million, uh, from this vantage point four months later seems absolutely silly because – you know, a mid mid rotation starting pitcher in the major leagues is going to make ten million dollars. So, you know, maybe Hap got a little bit more than that. Maybe they don't see Hap as a as a mid rotation starter. Maybe they really see him as a number five. But man, if you've watched him pitch, he's made three starts. He was uh, pitched the the uh, marathon game yesterday, uh, day game, morning game in Boston, and was really good. Seven innings, four hits, one run, one rock, four Ks. He's got an ERA under two. You know, he's had a good start to the season. And it just seems like if you put Jay Happ in that rotation, so many of the Pirates' questions from the beginning of the season would be different. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't, I don't recall exactly what Huntington uh, might have said about that, but you know, three years and thirty-six million dollars for Jay, Jay Happ is not an outrageous amount to pay. Um, no, because and if you're looking at three years and thirty-nine for Lariana, you have to understand, and we said it, we've said it many times it was on the, at the moment he signed. I just couldn't believe he was that cheap. I mean, Lariano is the bargain of all time. That can't be your barometer. No, it can't. I mean, you, 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 I think what you want to look at is some of the other uh, starting pitching contracts that happened this offseason, the Jeff Samarja deal, the Ian Kennedy deal. Mike uh, Leake? Yeah, I, you know, and, and uh, you know, I think you can make, even make the case that even, you know, even Mike Leake is worth the money. Even Mike Leake is worth $80 million. It's, it's, it's really about, you know, are you willing to pay, you know, on occasion, are you willing to pay big league prices for big league players? And um, that's, you know, really what we see the, the Pirates not doing, you know, at certain points. And uh, they've, they've, you know, relied on the sort of Ray Searage pitching magic. Uh, good for them. But this year it's look it's looking like it might not in all cases work out quite as well as, as it has in the past. Okay, so how do you feel about this team two weeks in? Is it exactly the same as when, when they started the season? What, what's your take? I mean, I, I guess I, I like the group of position players a little bit better and the pitching a little bit worse. And that's, you know, that that's a, a pretty vanilla answer. But I think that's that's really where we're at. I think the the JSO experiment has gone very well. Um, the the Pirates deserve some credit for for going a little bit outside the box to to identify them as their their main uh, first baseman. I think the David Freeze. Uh, thing has gone well, and I think Gregory Polanco has developed better than expected. But I look at the pitching staff, and I, I wonder: is this a group that's going to gel as the year goes on? Is this a group that's going to become a typical Pirates pitching staff, uh, typical of the last few years? I mean, or is it going to be some other kind of group? And uh, that's that's the question that that really needs to be answered going forward. So I definitely see an above-average team. Um, I don't know if I see a team that's. I'm not as as confident, you know, right this second. But you know, it's only been 13 games, and after the Pirates started the season with the sweep of the Cardinals, I, you know, I was I was really optimistic. So two weeks from now, maybe the Pirates go 10 and two or something like that. I'll feel great. So there's nothing to do but but watch. What's what's your take at this point? Yeah, I, I think need Cole and Lariano to be really good, and if the rest of the guys can be serviceable. The offense is good enough that they'll win a lot of games. I, you know, I'm with you. I'm, I, the, the big surprises are Feliz, um, what Polanco's done. I'm not sure I'm all that surprised at Jay. So his track record is is kind of suggests that he'd be good, and and I, you know, a believer that he was going to make a smooth transition to first. So uh, it's just it's nice to see everybody contributing up and down the lineup, 
And again, the, the back end of the bullpen looks like it's going to be really good. If Feliz is, it, it shocks me. And, and, uh, if, if Casio and Locke and Nice can give you six innings and two runs on a semi-consistent basis, then it's all good. But it, it, the questions to me are the same that, that they were to start the season. Right. Well, I guess we'll come back in a couple of weeks and, and uh, you know, reevaluate from there. I think that, you know, our, uh, we, we try to sort of step back from these situations. But I think, you know, 13 games in the season – um, our, our thinking about the team is going to be colored, you know, probably too strongly by what's happened in small a small sample season. size. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just how things are. And I think that, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you want to take everything we've said with a bit of a grain of salt so far, that's okay. Uh, but we'll, we'll come back in a couple of weeks and, and uh, we'll see where the Pirates are then. Uh, David, do you have anything else to add? No, fire away in the comments and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll respond. Absolutely. So um, you can also tweet at David at DT on Pirates. You tweet to me at Bucks Dugout. Thank you for listening to the Bucks Dugout podcast. To